The Motley Fool offers a lot of different services. Now, first off, I should say that we do a ton of things for free. Free! Most of our website, fool.com, is free, including our discussion boards or our 13 Steps to Investing Foolishly section. Those news articles our contract writers pen every single market day, letting you know what stocks are moving and why. Free. This podcast, free. All of our podcasts, in fact. But fortunately for us, not everything is free. I don't think I'd be picking five stock samplers on this podcast if everything were free. We have services, as I said, lots of services. So, which one is the one you should start with? That's the first mailbag item for this week's Rule Breaker Investing, and almost a dozen more are headed your way. That's right. Your best questions, my best answers, your best stories, my best reactions. It's Mailbag Week on this week's Rule Breaker Investing. This episode of Rule Breaker Investing is supported by NetSuite, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. Download their free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, Today at netsuite.com slash fool. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. Welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Yep, it is mailbag week. I was looking back over the month that was five stocks that passed the snap test. That's how we kicked off June 2019. Axon, Fair Isaac, Live Nation, Nintendo, and well, if you don't remember the fifth, you'll have to go back and listen to our June 5th podcast for Rule Breaker Investing. But yep, five stocks to pass the snap test. And then great quotes, volume 10, followed by the Market Cap Game Show with Aaron Bush, our new rookie of the century. And all of that now feeds through to this mailbag. Your questions, my best shots at answers, your stories, my best reactions. I'm delighted to have a very full slate and indeed a guest star that I'll be introducing very shortly. Before I introduce my friend David for mailbag item number one, I do want to give a shout out to Mark Ray at Mark Ray on Twitter because Mark, you th- you memed me and I'm I'm deeply appreciative. I'm not sure I'm not sure that I've ever been memed. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. Uh, so Thanos copying David, who was using the snap test before it was cool. Full Fest 2019 hashtag. Uh, thank you very much, Mark. You created a meme, so a visual that overlays Thanos snapping his fingers, making superheroes disappear, while talking about the snap test, where I snap my fingers and make public companies disappear and say, would anyone notice? Would anyone care? A wonderful summary of five stocks that passed the snap test as I let off this month. So, thank you. This meme is clearly above any kind of budget that I could bring or performance that I could bring. So, thank you, Mark Ray, for uh, for your Rule Breaker Investing meme. All right. Well, with that said, let's get started. Mailbag item number one. All right. So, for this item, I have my pal, David Hansen. David, welcome to Rule Breaker Investing. Thanks for having me. You were telling me off the air that this is not your first appearance on a Motley Fool Mailbag podcast episode. That's right. Probably, I don't know, fall 2012. I was a uh, I was a lowly analyst at Bank of America down in Charlotte, and I was I was dreaming of interacting with the Motley Fool, and I, I submitted my question to, to Market Foolery and Chris Hill, and I think it was after a, a Nike earnings report, and I was wondering, is this a buying opportunity? And they took my question, they answered, and I did buy Nike. I've done quite well in the position, which that is great. That is awesome. Um, but yeah, fast forward six months after that, and I was working at the Fool, and I've been here around six years. So yeah, it's come full circle now. Spectacular. It's great to have you. You're doing such good work, and I so appreciate it, David. And, and you're very focused. You're a leader within our group, our product and services group at the Molly Fool. So I thought, as I got this good question from Grant Tunkel, which is in a way, in a way kind of an every man, every fool question that we get, that would just be a fun one to lead off this week. So let me share Grant's question, then let's talk about it. So it starts Hi, David. In this case, we'll go with Hi, Davids. Yeah. Uh, I love the show. Listen every week. In fact, I'm a regular listener of just about every Motley Fool podcast episode. Well, thank you, Grant Tunkel. We really appreciate that. He goes on Over the course of a few years of listening, you've definitely educated, amused, and enriched me. Now, much like The Fool has updated its purpose statement, I am planning, Grant writes, to update how I consume Fool content. Not the best segue, he writes. I would say somewhat humbly, but I digress. I thought that was a, a solid segue. But anyway, I recently rolled over a 401k with a decent amount of money into an IRA, an individual retirement account, which gives me the freedom to invest the funds as I see fit. As such, I'm planning to sign up for a Motley Fool service. 
Well, that's awesome. Either stock advisor or rule breakers. Grant says, I'm well-versed in the merits of both services, but for the purposes of a retirement account and a traditional IRA at that, do you recommend one over the other full-on Grant? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, and I think you would probably echo the same sentiment of just Congratulations on kind of taking control of that. I mean, that, that's such a huge step that we love to see here at the Motley Fool is just individuals making the step and saying, "No, I can be an investor too. This is, this isn't just some dream job for the Wall Street bankers or whoever to, to, to manage their money." So, so true. So so just a huge kudos to, to kind of taking that step because so many people are, are kind of scared to do it, and um, I'm glad that we've been able to help him kind of make that that short step there and and get in the game really. Um, but between our services and and I've worked on um, many of them and, and worked with our marketing teams here at, at the Motley Fool. So I, I could talk for hours on the benefits of stock advisor and rule breakers and, and the many services we have here. But I know you've got a lot of questions, so I'll, I'll try to keep it a little bit shorter. And um, for those who don't know, Stock Advisor is our oldest service. It, it was launched in uh, 2002, and every single month, you and, and your brother Tom pick a new stock. And we we have a bunch of other features, um, such as Best Buys Now. And we have every year we have starter stocks, which um, for someone who's just trying to get in the game and saying like, hey, you guys have got a lot of stocks here, but can you give me just eight to 10 really solid ones that I can be the cornerstone of my portfolio? So when I think about Stock Advisor, um, it is our, our flagship service. And it gives you kind of a taste of everything that The Motley Fool has to offer. Um, in styles of investing, in sizes of companies, you'll find companies in recommended by by you and Tom as small as a billion dollar market cap, maybe smaller. Mm-hmm. You'll also find Apple in a service like that. So we're really um, spanning the the spectrum of of types of investing in stock advisor. So if if Grant was his name, I believe, um, if he's the type of investor who who really is just like, hey, I just want to learn about business and what's going on in the world, small companies, big companies. I love Apple. I love hearing about their new products. I love Google. Um, Stock Advisor can be a great service mm-hmm. for that. When I think about rule breakers, and obviously it's a type of investing that we talk a lot about on this podcast, as as the name would suggest. Indeed, yes. Um, I really view rule breakers as kind of a glimpse into what's next. So I don't. I'm not putting the words in your mouth, but I, I view Stock Advisor as kind of here's a lot what's going on right now. Rule breakers is very much here's what could happen in, in the next couple of years and. Um, I don't know the exact situation of um, the question here, but um, for example, I have a friend who's in his early 30s, and he subscribes to Rule Breakers. And um, I would say he's not an expert investor, but he's business savvy. And every month he texts me and says, "I just got the new Rule Breakers recommendation. I've got no idea what this company does, but man, I'm excited <laughs> to read about it." Um, you'll have things like genetics, uh, artificial intelligence, just every all uh, energy. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, that's how I view this. So, if, if you're the type of person who's just super excited about the future and you want to see what is going to be around in five, ten years that I can tell my grandkids about or my kids is like, did you guys hear about this technology that's coming out? Mm-hmm. Rule Breakers might be the service for you. If you're someone who's just like, hey, I, I just want to be in the game with you guys, give me your, your recommendations across the board, I would vote for Stock Advisor. So, really, again, I, like I said, I could talk for hours about the benefits of both, but uh, that, that's how... That's how I view them, and I personally use them both. So uh, it's really a personal preference. Thank in those you, David. Days. How did you get started investing? I really is. Uh, I mean, the Motley Fool is very critical in in uh, my development as an investor. I was I was in college and um, kind of just randomly was like, "Hey, I'll be a finance major. That sounds like something you're supposed to do." <laughs> and uh, I attended kind of a unofficial investing club uh, at the University of Miami where I went, and um, two. Uh, upperclassmen were presenting, and they said, "Well, we we take most of our philosophies from this company called the Motley Fool." And I said, right? I've, "I've never heard about that before." So, uh, started following the Fool again. Started listening to the podcast uh, back when podcasts weren't even really a thing. This was yep. back in 2009, 2010. Mm. Um, so, Motley Fool very significant in my life. So, mm. um, obviously, very very proud and excited that I can now work here and hopefully give give back and help others get started. Well, and that was an excellent answer, David. And while I could have taken my own shot at it, because I've been working on them both from the outset in March 2002, as you mentioned, and October 2004, in some ways, I just feel like I'm in too deep. Yeah. And so, I love hearing from especially our professionals here, people helping run our business and their perspectives uh, every day, hearing from people who are asking similar questions. David, I enjoyed that enough. Would you come back at the end of the show for uh, a member story? and a little bit of sharing on marketing. Of course. I'll see you then. Thank you, David. 
All right, Rule Breaker Mailbag item number two. This one's from Shingo Pyo. Hi, David. My name is Shingo Pyo, and I've been a Stock Advisor member for many years, a big fan of your podcast. I'm a U.S. federal government employee stationed in Camp Humphreys, South Korea. I've recommended your services to many friends and family. Well, thank you, Shingo. Of all the companies that you've recommended in Stock Advisor and Rule Breakers, I can't help but wonder why you haven't recommended Microsoft. They have a subscription model, which you're a big fan of. They have a big moat. They're an industry leader and a first mover. I'm sure you've thought about recommending them before, but just haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, probably. What are your reservations? Thanks, and I can't wait till the next mailbag. Signed, Shingo Pyo. Thank you very much, Shingo. Yes, here is the next mailbag, and here we are together. Well, three quick thoughts about Microsoft. The first one is that I deeply admire the company. I think that Bill Gates is one of the great, not just businessmen, but really one of the great people of our time. I mean, after all, he dropped out of college, started a company that is a massive worldwide success today, and then took so much of what he made and said, I'm going to give it all to charity and we're going to help heal the world. So, I mean, I vote for more of that type of thing surrounding us, brought to you and me by our fellow humans. We need more of that. Of course, Microsoft has been controversial at different points. There was a Department of Justice investigation into it. Uh, some people don't like Microsoft OS, or they just they think of Apple as the antidote to Microsoft. And I understand that too. I love my Xbox. I mean, it's one of those companies that's so big with cloud services today. It does so many different things. You can't really wrap your arms around Microsoft. So thought number one, Shingo, is that I I deeply admire the company. Thought number two is that there is no intentionality to me not recommending the stock, or you should never infer because I've not recommended a stock that I don't like it. Now you are not inferring that you didn't say that, but sometimes I'm asked, you know, David, why haven't you picked this or that stock, this new IPO or this company Microsoft? He must not like it if he hasn't picked it. The reality is that I pick three stocks a month, and I've done that every month for about 15 plus years now. So that's a lot of stocks. It may look like I've got a lot of the market covered, but the truth is, it's only three stocks a month. Sometimes they repeat. So I'll re-wreck a stock. So, and if you're just following Stock Advisor, you're getting one from me a month, and that's not really that many when you think about it. I mean, over the course of years, you can build a great portfolio with that. But by no means am I sitting in judgment of the entire U.S. market, let alone the global market, saying I like this one, I don't like that one. The truth is, I'm just kind of flipping over stones as a bottoms-up investor, organically asking what are the companies that I'm looking at this month that I like, and when I find one of them. Uh, I compare it to the others, and that's another quick point here. Before I hit number three, another quick point is just that there are a lot of great companies out there. So when I'm picking a stock, I'm usually saying no to two to four others that I would otherwise have picked that month. And so the tide goes in, the tide goes out. So I just want you, Shingo, and anybody listening to Rule Breaker Investing to know that you shouldn't infer that because I haven't picked a stock, I don't like it for some reason. The world is so much bigger. Than our individual footprints that we can leave on it. And now, finally, point number three to close. At various points, I've thought hard about Microsoft. Um, for about ten years, I thought hard that I don't want to invest in Microsoft. I wasn't a big Steve Ballmer fan. One of the funnier YouTube videos I've seen is when Steve Ballmer comes out on stage and says he loves this company. It's to get the troops riled up because he's speaking to Microsoft employees. Pretty hilarious 45 seconds. If you haven't enjoyed Steve Ballmer saying he loves this company, please enjoy that YouTube video. That's the type of video that did not inspire me to recommend ticker symbol MSFT. Uh, so there was a whole decade, a lost decade there. Unfortunately for Microsoft investors, it was kind of a lost decade for your capital as well. The stock just didn't do anything. But ever since Satya Nadella has shown up, the company has really rocked. I mean, he deserves. Huge kudos. He gets it too. It's not like this is a man operating in obscurity. Uh, he's one of the more admired CEOs of our time at this point. Just think about how much it took to kind of revitalize a company that large. So it has been a wonderful outperformer for the last five years, and I've missed it, and I regret that. And closing thought, I continue to kind of not recommend it because I'm comparing it to other companies that are much smaller or earlier stage. And I ask myself, you know, Will Microsoft triple from here? How much would that take versus would this other company that I'm thinking about triple from here? So that's always operating in my thinking and why probably I tend not to recommend 
huge capitalization companies. It's not that I'll never do it. There are no rules. This is the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast, but that's probably, Shingo, why I haven't recommended Microsoft. It's a company I admire, and if you have it in your portfolio, you're a happy person, because it has been a great performer doing good work in this world. So, thank you for that question. All right, Rule Breaker Mailbag Item number 3. And I have to get a little bit excited about this one, because this is an epic mailbag item. I mean, it's not short, so I won't be reading all of it, but I'm kind of breaking it up into parts. I mean, Tolkien did write Lord of the Rings as one continuous narrative, but the truth is, whether it was the movies, the books themselves, we as humans like to break things up into epic parts. So, Rick Engdahl, I'm going to ask for some epic music as we go through this epic mailbag item from Mark Alderman. All right, that sounds about right. So, Mark starts, Thank you for getting me started investing. I was one that once believed I didn't and couldn't possibly understand how investing works and let others decide for me. Once I understood more, I realized I was in funds that mostly helped the financial advisor by having high fees and upfront load costs. I have since closed those funds, switched brokers, and picked my own stocks where I am crushing the returns those funds were giving me. My only regret is not starting investing myself sooner. End of epic part one. So, what we have in the first chapter of our epic is a guy who realizes, he awakens, he switches on and realizes he can do this himself. And not only that, when he starts to do it himself, he realizes he was kind of being exploited, maybe even in some senses financially abused by the system where he just awoken, almost like a sleeper agent in Battlestar Galactica. He'd awoken, except he was a good guy, not a bad guy, like the Cylons. So, no, Mark has awoken and then he doesn't just look around, he takes direct steps. End of epic part one, he closes those funds, listen to the verbs, he switches brokers, he picks his own stocks, he's crushing the returns of those funds. So, love that story. David Hansen, who just joined us for mailbag item number one, he talked about how he got started investing. A lot of people just don't think you can do this yourself. But once they start to realize you can and do it themselves, the rest is history. All right. Part two, we'll call this The Two Towers. I got started with you in 2015, Mark writes, and I'm a current Rule Breakers and Stock Advisors subscriber. I listen to all the podcasts, watch all the YouTube videos. There are a lot of those. Read all of your books. Well, that's a lot of reading. And take advantage of the many resources on the Motley Fool website. I found that I have a passion for investing very clearly. So, Mark, so I also read many other books. I listen to other podcasts, take courses. But I never buy a stock without consulting your services first. Your complete transparency and being upfront about the idea of investing for the long term is the most refreshing aspect. Many of the notifications and ads I receive from other stock picking services are the complete opposite. I never knew how interested I was in investing, learning about and following businesses, Mark writes. I have learned so much about business and current events just from being interested in the financial markets. I find I'm better at my job because of it. As I look at long-term strategies for the business that I work for from an owner's perspective, not just as an employee, I'm able to have more intelligent conversations and make more intelligent proposals to help drive business decisions. End of epic part two. Mark, what I love about that is you're really soaking in it. You're owning it. You're living it. You're probably reading more Motley Fool books than I've read. I th I'm pretty sure you're watching more Motley Fool YouTube videos than I've watched, and I've watched a lot of them too. But thank you very much for leaning in. But what I wanted to highlight here in Epic Part Two is that getting better at business and getting better at life, having smarter conversations, seeing it not just from the employee's point of view, which for most of us as employees, that's the natural, but also looking at it from an owner's point of view, if you are running the company or a shareholder owning the company. So, just think about that. The act of switching on, as Mark did, pre-2015, all of a sudden didn't just make him a better investor, it made him a better professional, and I'm going to bet a better person to. Warren Buffett's great line, I'm a better investor because I'm a businessman, and a better businessman because I am an investor, is one of the critically important points I think that we have we have to draw on in our 26 years of Motley Fool history. I'm so glad Warren said that, because we've used that and reused that around Fool HQ in speeches and sure on this podcast, too. You know, The better you get as an investor, 
You start knowing what works. And then you say, hey, I'm studying companies that work. Let's try some of what they're doing over at Slack or Apple. Let's do that in our business. And so you start pulling in, because you're an investor, you start pulling into your life the things that you're learning as an investment researcher. Consequently, and from the other side of the coin, as a person working in the professional world, you're going to make better investment decisions because you are looking at what works around you. You draw on your own industry knowledge, your own horse sense of being a professional, and you're like, you know, I'm watching the stock that I'm researching right now try something that we did five years ago, and I think this will work or this won't work. It makes you a better investor. So, Warren sure had it right. I've always said this is not a 2D plane, this is not a circular thing, it's actually a 3D thing. It's like a gyre, it goes up because the better you get at this one, the better you get at that one, and you keep hopping upward. My Motley here at The Motley Fool, the value I bring to the office every day is Excelsior, ever higher. And it's that sense of getting better at these things that's going to make you better. So, love that part of your epic. All right, now epic part three. You recommended NVIDIA several years ago. And when I took the plunge and the stock went up, I was more interested. I've learned so much since then, but I wonder, had the stock gone down right away, Mark writes, would I have moved forward or would I have just given up and said, this isn't for me? I like to think I would have kept at it, but this is a message that should definitely be driven home with new investors, though I know you've touched on it before. I've made all the mistakes, but learned from most of them, such as trading some stocks here and there, but even if I made a little bit of money on those trades, in quotes, Every single time I look back, I would have made substantially more if I just sat back and let it ride. Less work and more profits. It's really a no-brainer. And now, he has a question. Mark writes, My question is in regards to market cap. When picking a stock, I've learned to understand what a company's market cap is today. Yep, we did that last week. And based on the total addressable market, the TAM or TAM, some people like to use the acronym, based on the total addressable market, what the market cap might someday be. Is it correct to use this information to try and glean what the stock price could be based on this? Using the trade desk as an example, as of this writing, it's about an $8 billion market cap. If I think it could be a $20 billion company one day, Mark writes, and assuming they do not buy back or issue any new shares, does that imply a $520 stock price if that comes true? 520 times 38.51 million shares, taking that to one extra decimal, nice mark. Outstanding would equal around $20 billion. I'm thinking this might not be right, and I'm going to stop it right there. So after an epic story, a surprisingly anticlimactic, I think anyway, question at the end of it. Almost a show of humility from our epic hero, Mark, who's written in. Because all you're asking is, basically, do you think about the market cap today as a as a fraction of the addressable market? And the answer, Mark, is yes, I do. That's a big thing that we do with the market cap game show. So, for example, or with investing, with the trade desk, yeah, around $8 billion. We think, looking forward, that could be a $100 billion company one day if everything plays well, beats its competition, and Jeff Green leads them on to to victory, to a truly epic victory, because that would be like a 10-plus bagger from where it is now, and it's already been an amazing stock. So, who knows? But yes, Mark, that is how we think about the stock market. And yes, it is as simple as just thinking about where the market cap is today, and as a percentage, now this is assuming the stock doesn't get massively diluted, those kinds of things. You do need to keep tracking those shares outstanding, but in general, the math is as simple as that. And often our investment thinking can be as simple as that. There will be a question a little bit later in this mailbag that hooks into this, which I'll get to in terms of the numbers of investing. But let's just end it there with the denouement, because I guess every epic should probably have a denouement. So Mark closes it out with thanks for everything, as you've truly changed mine and my family's life, as we're definitely smarter, happier, and richer and have more opportunities now than we've ever had before with the help of you and your awesome team. Respectfully, Mark Alderman. P.S. I will be in Alexandria, Virginia for business in a couple of weeks, so I will be stopping by, if only to see the Motley Fool HQ in person and to drop off a postcard for Allison and Bro. That's our Motley Fool Answers team. So, Mark, I'm delighted you're coming by. Yeah, if you, if you, dear listener, are in the greater D.C. area, want to come visit Fool HQ sometime, or you're dropping by Alexandria, Virginia, you can drop us a note, rbi at fool.com. 
it's how you got your mailbag questions submitted in the first place, unless you tweeted us at RBI Podcast. But sure, we do tours, we have visitors, and I look forward maybe to shaking hands with Mark, although I will be traveling to China in the month ahead. So, Mark, if I miss you, hey, you got to see our better half, which is the Motley Fool Answers team. All right, that was an epic mailbag. I kind of miss that epic score. I'd love to just hear it maybe three seconds more. Thank you, Rick. Okay, on to mailbag item number four. Rule Breaker mailbag item number four. This one comes from Nick Jackson. Nick writes, Dear David, I'm writing you to show my appreciation and with a question. First, the appreciation. Every year, I try something new. At the beginning of 2018, I decided that thing would be learning to trade stocks. Note, Nick writes, I say, trade. Like so many people at the beginning of their investing campaigns, I wanted a quick buck. I'm proud to say I did just fine with that. I turned $800 into $850 by the end of March, a time when the market was hiccuping, Nick writes. That means in three months, he went from $800 to $850. But it was draining to watch scanners. I don't even know what that is. And movements closely every day. Without getting into the details, I'm glad that I found The Motley Fool. After reading several of the articles you guys put out and looking at the track record of you, David, I decided that trading was not what I thought it was, that I wanted to be invested in companies that I love, think are fun, and do splendid things. It was around my birthday, apparently very close to yours near the Ides of May, that I decided to purchase subscriptions for both Rule Breakers and Stock Advisor. We see an emerging theme in this month's mailbag. A lot of talk about Stock Advisor and Rule Breakers. Well, Nick goes on, This was a big decision as the cost was roughly half of my invested funds at the time. But a year and some change later, it's paid for itself twice over. And I still have a year left. It was an investment I made in myself, and it paid me greatly and will continue to do so. That's a good segue into my question. But before I read your question, Nick, I just want to say back, great job. It is an interesting question and answer for a lot of us. How much would you spend to learn investing? How much would you spend on your own financial education? On the one hand, we say things like, try to keep your costs of investing below 2%. That would include commissions or any other fees that you might be paying for financial professionals in your life. And I think that makes good sense. But that's more like steady state once you already know how things are doing for you, how things are going to go. You already kind of understand investing. But for a lot of us, we don't understand investing. That's a big theme of this week's podcast. So, how much would you pay for a tuition to learn the markets for the rest of your life? I think it's quite a lot. If you were to do the math, you'd see you should be willing to pay quite a lot. So, on the one hand, when I read that Nick spent half his money at the time to subscribe to our services, I think, oh, he could have invested that in stocks. Maybe that was a misallocation. But then again, I think, no, that's not really true. A lot of us pay tens of thousands of dollars every year to be in higher education, and we don't expect any direct return for that. We're not investing our tuition into stocks, at least I hope we're not, and hoping they'll go up over the course of time. So, I say good on you, Nick, and it's food for thought for the rest of us. At a certain point, you don't want to be spending too much on your investing. You want to be investing as much as you can. But in order to get to that place, most of us probably need some kind of a jump start and some expenditure way below the tuition that most of us are paying in order to learn this critical and rewarding subject. Okay. On the subject of investing in oneself, Nick continues, I've started a side project of creating a video game. If this is right on the podcast, you don't have to read this shameless bit, but it's a video game called Space Y colon Rogue. Space Y Rogue, the website is Space Y Game, like spaceygame.com. I feel as though investing more into the game would increase the chances of it becoming at least somewhat popular and obviously increase the quality of the finished product. However, I just can't bring myself to do it. At least not with meaningful capital. I have a safety net, but I fear my money is of better use in the stock market. Something you've said several months back as advice to entrepreneurs is that the market is great, but if you have an entrepreneurial spirit, then invest in yourself and your ideas. Paraphrased. That has stayed in my head, but I think I need a little more to pull the trigger or to back off completely. I was wondering if there are any statistics comparing the market to investing in oneself or any rules of thumb, so to speak. That is Rule Breakery. Yours foolishly, Nick Jackson. Nick, short and sweet, here's how I'm thinking about this. Ultimately, you want to do both of these things, right? We want to have our cake and eat it too, as we've often talked about on Rule Breaker Investing. So, I definitely want you to continue your investment, not just your education anymore, but now your investment 
history. I want you to save money and put that into stocks because the odds of prospering that way are really, really good if you're investing capital F foolishly. Don't forget, the market is the wind at your back. It tends to rise around 10% or so a year. Money you put in it now, you'll be really happy 20 and 50 years from now. Do the math. It's crazy almost to invest in anything else if you're not sufficiently apportioning funds toward the market. So, very high expected rate of return with confidence relative to most things. On the other hand, we hear small businesses fail. I'm going to make these numbers up. Eight out of ten of them just fail altogether. So, if you're just purely doing the math, it probably makes sense for you to put those funds toward the stock market if you are not already sufficiently invested. Sounds like you're still at the outset, so that would be my tendency. But how do we have our cake and eat it too? Well, the answer is, I bet, since you're creating your own game, anybody who's doing their own side project or major project, you're investing your time in that. And time, as was once said in World of Warcraft, time is money, friend. So, I bet you're already investing a huge amount of yourself into, in this case, your video game or any of the projects, hobbies, or professional undertakings that anybody hearing this right now is doing. The value of your time, that is the most finite and valuable thing we have on this earth, is our time, and I bet you're already putting a lot of time toward it. Now, if the end I've left you on the horns of a dilemma and you still don't feel like you've been nudged either way, I would say split it down the middle. Take half of the money you're planning to invest and invest it, and take the other half of the money that you were thinking to invest and put it toward your project. You don't have to make that permanent. You can just do that this month, and then next month you can say, which one's feeling better to me? A lot of it is going to come down to whether your side project is going to work or not. And I'm not just speaking to Nick here, I'm speaking to anybody who's thinking or investing towards something that is personally gratifying and or commercially viable. Those things are sometimes different things. Nick, I hope that has given you some food for thought, and for anybody else, this is a very common question. Where should I put my money? Where should I put my resources? You know, if Jeff Bezos were on this show, he talks about the regret minimization framework. We've talked about that before, but here's the thought. When you're 80 years old, look back right now on yourself, Nick Jackson. The 80-year-old Nick Jackson looks back at the one today and says, how do I minimize the regret that I feel at the age of 80? Did I put it toward my game, or did I put it toward the market? So, as a much more mature version of yourself, try to minimize the regret you're going to feel then. Maybe that'll help you make the final decision. Rule Breaker Mailbag Item number 5. This one, I believe, comes from the YouTube comment area of a Motley Fool video. Speaking of watching Motley Fool videos on our YouTube channel, which by the way, we got a plaque recently. Did you see this, Rick Engdahl? We got a plaque sent to us from YouTube? I did, yes. It was uh, it was it was shiny. Yeah, silver. I'm not gonna say platinum. I don't think we're platinum worthy. Not platinum yet, no. But it was. Uh, I think I'm not gonna was... say pure silver either, but silverish, silvery. There was a mirror involved. And uh, what was it celebrating? I believe it was 100,000 subscribers. That is awesome. Credit to Dylan Lewis and our team here at The Fool, because somebody internally, probably Dylan, who hosts one of our industry-focused podcasts and does a lot around our YouTube channel, has helped to build that. But somebody hereabouts in these parts in Alexandria, Virginia, said eight months ago, we only have like 20,000 followers on YouTube, and we're really not doing much there. We should really enliven that. It's a vibrant channel. And so, not only did we pass the 100,000 mark, and we got a silver plaque from YouTube, but I think we're already near 150 now. So, we've got a big ambitious goal there. And yes, we do read the comments on YouTube videos, because that's where this mailbag item comes from. Chase Parker, who might not even listen to this podcast, was just commenting on YouTube, but said, what does David have to say about the antitrust probes making these texts drop? Is this noise, or is this damaging? So, two quick thoughts on that. The first is that I'm always sad when we go after companies because we think that they're getting too powerful. I'm not sad if I think those companies are abusing their power, um, if they're doing bad things in this world. I'm not sad if we're going after companies that control supplies, like they own all of a commodity and they're jacking up the price on all of us, or they have the whole railroad system in the 19th century and they're just fleecing all of us. I'm not sad if we go after those. But if we're going to go after companies that add convenience to our lives every day, that offer products for free, that you and I are just choosing to use on a daily basis, that doesn't sound like a dystopia to me or something personally that I think should be broken up. Now, there's always legitimate questions about companies like Facebook, about how they're handling the data, let's say. 
say. But I'm also aware of other places in the world that are a lot less respectful of data and a lot less accountable for how they're handling data than the under-the-microscope Facebook or to go to Amazon, which is sometimes talked about as a company that, quote, should be broken up, end quote. Amazon delivers stuff. It used to be within two days or so. Now it's getting down to one day. It's a company a lot of us are buying a lot of things through and uh, and really enriching our lives. So, um, whether you, Chase Parker, or you, dear listener, are for or against any of these companies, that is up to you. For my own part, I will say with point two, if I were China or another country competing against us, uh, for global domination, especially with our commercial approach to the world. If I were China, I would love it if I were thinking that in the United States, a lot of people are saying, take down their best companies. I would think competitively, we're probably not going to do that in China to our companies, but if the US, if there's some kind of counter revolt against many of the biggest, best players, not just in America, but in the world, that's really going to help competition against these kinds of companies. So, to close, Chase, Every company is a distinct situation. I don't even like to group them all as fang stocks. I always say that with a chuckle. Or techs, as you said in your comment. I don't even think of tech stocks. I just think of each company and what does it do and is it making the world better. They can be really hard to compete with when they get to be big, but they're going to be competed with successfully if they're big and slow or big and abusive. The world today is too competitive. Too many other things pop up out of the blue and start competing against things that we thought used to be good enough. Like I used to think newspapers were good enough until the internet showed up. I used to think that stores were good enough until Amazon showed up. So I really don't think we want to hold back the guys that are carrying the torch forward for all of us, because I can guarantee this there's a next generation of new companies that are going to come and compete against these. I bet some of you are starting those companies right now. It's a competitive world. And I usually think the beauty of this competition is that the winners are those who serve you and me, in most cases, best, with a better product, a better service, or and or a better price. So, that's my thought. Let's go to Rule Breaker Mailbag Item number 6. But first, thanks to NetSuite for supporting Rule Breaker Investing, introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, giving you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance and accounting, orders, and HR instantly, right from your desktop or phone. And that's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights with a free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash fool. That's netsuite.com slash fool to download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits. netsuite.com slash fool. All right, a few more for you that I'm going to welcome back, my friend David Hansen, for the book and close to this week's podcast. Let's go to number six. This one comes from Kurt Ely. I'm going to say my friend Kurt Ely. I just kind of got to know Kurt because he listened to our podcast and would tweet a mailbag item at RBI Podcast on Twitter over the years. But as it turns out, he's a full member. I got to meet Kurt at Fool Fest just a few weeks ago, and here's how his note starts. David, first, let me say what a pleasure it was to finally meet you in person at the 2019 Fool Fest last week. This was written a week ago. The foolish wisdom that I've gained from you over the years was a key ingredient in helping me to fulfill my dream of retiring early four years ago. Yes, Kurt, very handsome guy. Pretty sure you're, I think you're probably younger than I am. So well done. You retired four years ago. The financial independence, Kurt goes on, that my investment portfolio has given me has allowed me to spend my time as I choose, being a more present father and husband, pursuing my passions, traveling the world, and even continuing to work here and there selectively on the projects I enjoy with people I like. And that really has been the gift of a lifetime. I've been incredibly fortunate in my life, and I've been looking for a way to give back in a meaningful way. When I heard you talk about the Fool Foundation last week, it really struck a chord with me. While I've taken steps to introduce my own kids to the fundamentals of money and investing, it's always bothered me that most kids grow up never learning these basics and often end up leading much less secure adult lives as a result. 
the full foundation's mission of reaching out to young people to help them become smarter, happier, and richer strikes right at the heart of this issue, and I would like to be a part of it. My twin sons enter Chapel Hill High School this fall. Go Heels! Thank you for the call out, Kurt. And it occurred to me that this could be a great opportunity to see what the school is doing to promote financial education of our kids and to do what I can to enhance it. While I could go it alone on this, Kurt writes, I know I would be even more effective with the power and wisdom of the fool behind me, so I thought I would reach out to you to ask, what support can the new Fool Foundation provide to me and other motivated parents with high school age kids to further this mission? Ideas could include advice on how to approach our local school administration on this topic, providing a financial seminar in a box, in quotes, we could use on the ground in our local schools, online resources we could direct young people to who want to learn more, sponsorship of high school investing clubs, etc. Thanks again for your life improving work and fool on Kurt Elia. Well, Kurt, there are many beautiful things in that note, but they're already self-evident. It was very well written, and I'm so glad that you found the agency that we all desire. Through financial independence, you are free to choose, as you say, and the things that you choose are deeply meaningful, and you're getting to be selective, working with the best things and the best people, trying to make the best decisions with your time that you can. You know, in many ways, once we reach that point of financial freedom, then the real work starts. Then you really say, well, why am I on this planet? What am I here to do? And how can I make things better? I am really excited to hear your story, Kurt. And I'm also happy to include that shout out to Chapel Hill High School. I didn't go there myself. I did, as many know. I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, but I came from out of state, from my home city of Washington, D.C. But Chapel Hill High School, certainly an important part of the community. And To generalize and just broaden from that and give my brief answer to this mailbag item, this is not about Chapel Hill High School or Kurt. This is about every high school, and this is about you. And whether the Motley Fool Foundation, which we recently announced, which is our not-for-profit, whose purpose is to prepare the whole world to invest, whether we focus on high school kids or younger kids or kids at all, maybe we'll just teach the teachers we are in a discovery process right now of thinking How best can we fulfill our vision to prepare the whole world to invest? There are a lot of wonderful financial literacy programs already in place. Companies like Capital One have partnered with Junior Achievement. They do a really impressive finance park, both here locally and they do important work outside of this big city as well. There are lots of people working hard toward financial literacy. In fact, the state of Virginia, I think, has now a required financial literacy equivalence. You have to take a test to become a graduate of high school in the state of Virginia. I think I have that right, and I'm pretty sure Virginia is not the only state. I think some of you are raising your hands right now in your state, because that's increasingly true. So, that's a wonderful world that I want to live in, and I want to increase that and accelerate. We're going to figure out how to do that. But one thing's for sure, Kurt, the Full Foundation will be counting on members like you and me to help. Sure, It will be wonderful to be able to take in donations for the first time. I hope that we've created prosperity for you, and I hope you want to share a small portion of that back to help fellow fools and fools-to-be globally to really understand how to make better decisions, sometimes the simplest decisions, around their money. But there's also your time, and there are other things that we'll dream up together. I am tremendously excited about the Fool Foundation. Thank you for writing in. I am the chair of the Fool Foundation, so it means a lot to me. And yes, we are in the process right now of cutting through resumes for our executive director. So, that's kind of where we are. Quick update for those who care about the Fool Foundation. But, Kurt, you pretty much nailed it right on when you talked about the importance of this work in the world and about what you and I can do. Whether there's ever a Fool Foundation or not, every one of us can get more involved with our school our kids, and the people around us, and get them, like our epic correspondent earlier, Mark Alderman, switching on, all of a sudden realizing the world can be better and taking control and having much better results, not just with their money, but in their life. So, Kurt, you embody that as well, and thank you. Mailbag item number seven. Earlier this podcast, I mentioned talking about numbers and looking at numbers. We were talking about market caps back then. Well, here's Nate from Oakland, California, writing, Hi, David. I've noticed that you, compared to other of your fellow podcast hosts, spend much less time discussing financials or other numbers, except market cap. But perhaps this is only because numbers don't lend themselves to the podcast format as much. I'm curious, as you're evaluating stocks, how much time you spend poring over numbers, financials, and trends, compared to how much time you spend 
researching the market, reading, listening, watching material from the leadership, reading SEC filings, etc. I feel like I've been slowly developing my own process, Nate writes, for evaluating stocks, but I'm wondering what your process is like, or does your process depend on the nature of the company you are evaluating? Thanks, Nate from Oakland, California. Well, thank you, Nate. Thanks for writing in. Really, two points I want to make here, Nate. The first one is, yeah, I love numbers. I care a lot about numbers, and every stock that I pick for Rule Breakers and Stock Advisor, I've had one or more analysts, often multiple analysts here at the Motley Fool, vetting them. I've designed my own template in which those analysts type in their reactions. Uh, critically important are the income statement, the balance sheet, and the statement of cash flows. We pull key numbers off of those. Nothing really subtle here. No secret sauce. I like to see sales growth. I like to see the profit margins of a company. I like to know how much company cash is sitting on the balance sheet and how much company debt might be sitting on the balance sheet. I like to know if the company's cash flow positive or not. Sometimes companies are generating cash flow, but look like they're losing money because their earnings are negative. Amazon was that way for a long time. I like to notice that. And I like to do ratios and see growth rates. Never anything more than fifth grade math, as I've been wont to say in the past. So, yes, I love numbers. Numbers matter a lot. You're right. It's not the most interesting thing to rock on a podcast. I'd far rather share stories on my mailbag than lots of numerical answers. And when we're going to do authors in August, which we're going to do in a couple of months, where I have authors back just like I did last August, this coming August, I'll be mentioning that at the end of this podcast, get you a short reading list going. But I like to talk with authors. And we're not talking, maybe we'll mention dates or factual numbers, but we're not just spewing numbers. We're not technical investors here. Uh, But we are fundamental investors. And so, I care deeply about the numbers behind the companies that I recommend. And, of course, I care deeply about the numbers they generate for us as investors. So, that's point number one. Yes, it counts, but you're right. It's not great for podcasts, in my experience. And then, finally, point number two is, even though you and I use numbers, I hope, you're talking about developing your own process, Nate, so I hope you're using numbers in your process. My actual belief is that most of the world is running the numbers. Most of the investment world is very numerically driven. And then they have algorithms that are searching for certain numbers and screens and then trade, sometimes within a second, inside of a second, trade in and out of stocks based on all the numbers. And so I'm never going to try to compete with that. Not only that, I don't want to. It's so short term and it would be so exhausting. I have no interest in it. So I think our real edge often as foolish investors comes from the right side of our brain, from seeing what the world is not seeing, from projecting things forward, from thinking about whether that brand is a winning or losing brand, or whether that ad causes you to want to be part of that organization or not or whether the leadership is innovative. And by the way, who is running the company? These things are not expressed on the balance sheet, income statement, or statement of cash flows. It's those right brain things often that I think give us our edge. So, I hope you'll make that part of your process, too. And that's what I do a lot on Rule Breaker Investing. I present that part for our podcast because I just think it's more fun to talk about, and it's ultimately where I think more of our value lives. All right, well, time is running out. How about two more items? One, and then I'll have my friend David back to close. Rule Breaker Mailbag, item number eight. Couple of notes here, both short. I'm going to call these both spiffy pop notes. So the first one comes from Jason Dechtebrun, and Jason says, Hi, David, after listening to every single episode of Rule Breaker Investing. Yep, that's the sound effect that Rick Engdahl plays anytime somebody has said they've listened to every single Rule Breaker Investing Podcast. After all, they number now more than 200. So, yes, that goes back over, well, we started in July 2015. By my count, this is informal because we have no highly paid research staff that knows the facts. I believe this is the 210th Rule Breaker Investing Podcast. And if they average somewhere around 40 minutes, well, that's a lot of content. So, darn it. Jason, you deserve that sound. Thank you for listening all the way through with us. But you were actually writing, saying, I don't recall ever hearing you mention the concept of a divvy pop. So, when a stock issues a single dividend payment in the same amount as your original purchase price for the stock, I'm assuming you're using a term similar to this around the office. Perhaps I missed it on a past podcast. Otherwise, I'm bringing it to your attention. And Jason, yes, we actually did kind of coin the term divvy pop. It's funny you mentioned that. It's right there on our Spiffy Pop page. If you 
Google Spiffy Pop Motley Fool, you will find our famous, iconic Spiffy Pop page listing all of the Spiffy Pops we've had in our premium services. As I've mentioned, 2018, an amazing year. We had 54 Spiffy Pops in just one year. We've had a bunch more in 2019, so that's a fun page to track. And I think you're going to read, scroll down, I think you're going to find the Divi Pop there. So, yes, we love the concept of a Divi Pop. The reason I don't play it up too much is because so many of my stock picks don't pay dividends. And so it's very hard to have a Divi Pop if you're not getting dividend payments. But just to underline Jason's point there, yes, if you receive a dividend payment, a single quarterly dividend payment, and that dividend payment is equal to or in excess of your cost basis for that stock, you have done something amazing. You have Divi Popped. And on the other hand, continuing with Spiffy Pop Rule Breaker Mailbag Item number 8, Chris Abeles, I think I have your name right, Chris, A-B-E-L-E-S, wrote, Hi, David, I was wondering if you could help me with some stats around Spiffy Pops. What's the mean, mode, and standard deviation around the time length needed before that? I'm going to stop it right there. Chris, you have overrated our ability to calculate, track, our knowledge base surrounding Spiffy Pops. It's actually a lovely note. He just wants to figure out what an average spiffy pop would be because he's had a few and he's wondering if they're happening faster than they should have. So, this is somebody who is bringing some of the language I remember from my statistics course at the University of North Carolina freshman year. I didn't do so well on that course, but I still remember standard deviations pretty well. But you were asking for various measures that we don't really have around spiffy pops. So, if we were a larger company and I had a research staff dedicated to every spiffy pop we've ever picked, then we could start producing some of the statistics that you have. Now, that Spiffy Pop page I mentioned earlier, well, that would have data that anybody could use in Crunch if you wanted to put in the time. But please remember, sometimes I feel like we, we, we cast a bigger shadow than, than we should. This podcast is just a production of little old me and my pal, Rick Engdahl, who has in, indeed produced almost every one of those 210 episodes going back Four years. So it's pretty much just us. Yes, we have the Motley Fool around us, but there's no research staff dedicated either to this podcast or, sadly, to Spiffy Pops. There's no division. One day, perhaps there will be a Spiffy Pop division here at the Motley Fool. And if there is, there will be a small Divi Pop team that's part of the Spiffy Pop division. Thank you both for those questions. All right. Well, I always try to save the best for last with mailbag, so I hope I've done it once again. Rule breaker, mailbag item number nine. And oh, look, he's back, David Hansen. Hey, how's it going? David, thank you. You're part of making best for last happen because I love having cool, fun people that I get to hang out with that aren't just me joining me for mailbag. So thank you for enhancing rule breaker mailbag item number nine. Yes. And I really want your perspective here. So here we go. Hi, David, and everyone. At RBI. I have always wanted to share my stock story with you. A couple of weeks ago, I heard David respond about how people felt when they received multiple emails from different services at The Motley Fool. And I think my stock story has a little something to say about that. Disclaimer I wrote this email of my own free will. I do not get any compensation from Fool.com, LOL. Once upon a time, she writes, there was a girl who was very curious and interested in investing for her retirement. And that person was me. I've been doing well maxing out my 403B. I was lucky to have entered the workforce in 2008, the year the market crashed, as I learned a little later. I didn't pay any attention to the stock market at the time. My money has done very well since. However, after a while, growth stagnated. My curiosity grew stronger about different types of investments. And that's when someone at work mentioned Motley Fool. I decided to check the website, Fool.com, out, found a ton of investing information and useful knowledge that invaluably ranges from beginners to experts. Some, somewhere along there, I must have given The Motley Fool my email address, and that's when my first advertising email arrived, sometime in 2015, when I first fell for a Motley Fool ad. I remember starting to read a very long email, and it had a video. And at the end of about 15 minutes of that long video, started talking about this one stock that could change the AI world, or something like that. The email told me that I needed to become a member of Stock Advisor, whatever that was, and it would cost me so and so much. And I was pissed, writes our correspondent. Ha ha ha, she writes after that. At that point, I knew I wouldn't get to see the name of that one mysterious stock for free 
but because I spent almost half an hour reading and watching the video, so whatever, I'm going to see what the stock is. And they're backed by a money-back guarantee, so what the heck, I thought. And that stock was NVIDIA. After knowing the name, I read up about the company. I decided to invest in the future, so I bought 100 shares of it at, I believe, 23. A bit later, I bought 100 more shares at 26, then 100 or so more at $35, and so on. We all know what the stock has done since. I'm going to pause it right there, because maybe not everybody everybody knows what the stock's done since. But David, you and I probably know. Mm-hmm. NVIDIA's been a big winner. Yeah, my face was, my eyes got large when you when you started giving the details. Yeah, now, not every stock promotion that we do to find people to join Stockvisor just broadly across the internet. The Motley Fool advertised a lot. Not every one of them probably has done as well as NVIDIA. I'm thinking of 3D Systems would be one of mine that was kind of a clunker, but I'm really delighted because NVIDIA has, in fact, become one of the great companies. Uh, the company... Here are two fun facts. One of them not so fun about NVIDIA. The not so fun fact is it's been cut in half over the last year. So the stock, despite being totally awesome since our correspondent first bought it, is actually down from 300 to 150. But the awesome point number two, the fun part is that when you're buying at 20, 20 again, 30, and the stock's at 150 just a few years later, you're probably a happy member, as indeed I am as somebody who recommended NVIDIA back at $6 and change. Um, more than a decade ago. So it's been a tremendous winner, but it's taken patience, and yeah, it's gotten knocked down sometimes. So that, when she says, we all know what the stock has done since, now we all know what the stock has done since. So pick it up there. She says, now I've sold small portions of the profits to fund my other new exciting investments, and NVIDIA still remains a large portion of my portfolio. The moral of this long stock story is, I don't get annoyed or upset anytime I receive Motley Fool emails. I am, in fact, very excited to receive them because I'll never know which service might be interesting to me. I see it as an opportunity to learn about what the Motley Fool has to offer. That one email changed my life. I'll say improved her life. That one email, that $159 for three years of membership of Stock Advisor. Have we, David, have we given away Stock Advisor for three years for $100? We there, must, there's some good deals out we there. We don't do, yeah. do we still, that, that's outrageous. Maybe, maybe not that good. Maybe but, not you know. that good. This is an earlier era of the Molly Fool, but yeah, three years, $159 uh, improved her life. By far, she says, the best investment of her life. Keep in mind, that's just one company recommended by the Motley Fool since then. I've explored many services in the Fool family. Some I decided not for me. They gladly refunded my money or transferred me to different services. I'm very excited to become a member in the new Navigator portfolio and looking forward to many more exciting things from The Motley Fool. Thank you, Dave, and your team for always educating, amusing, and enriching. All right, just to conclude, she writes, you really don't have to share this story, but I thought it ties into what we talked about in the last few weeks on this podcast. I always want you to know how I became, here it is, your biggest fan. Oh, this is from Jum. Jum, a couple of years ago, you wrote me and you said you were my biggest fan, and that week I mispronounced your name. And then the week after on the podcast, I said, I finally found my biggest fan, and I mispronounced her name on the podcast. So here we are a couple of years later. Hope things are going well with you. She, she says, not only that, you and your team made me richer financially, but also everything I learned from you and your team at The Motley Fool. Please refer to my first letter to you. It's not just about investing, it's about life and how financial independence can help you do more for others. If you do decide to share this, please edit it and correct any grammatical errors as you see fit. LOL, forgive my English as a second language. She writes, thank you, David and RBI team for your time. Full on, Jum, our biggest fan. Wow. Awesome. Here's my, before you before you kick it over to me, I mean... Is that is that a real person? Or is that just your is that your pen name? Did am, you write this email? Your I am biggest almost fan? certain that I did not I mean, write this a, message that's myself. Great, that's now, a great story. With my declining faculties, the chances uh, there is some small chance that I wrote this myself uh, in a reverie and sent it to, to Rick and forgot that I wrote. But I'm pretty sure Jum is real. And even in, if she's not, and she is, presumably somewhere else out there, there is my biggest fan is not me. Hmm. I hope there's somebody who likes me more than I do, but. <laughs> Now, more to the point, Davis, a couple of gems in that note. As you listen to that, what jumps out to you as somebody who runs the business side of things and has done a lot of marketing for us? Sure. I mean, she, she kind of references um, the way she heard about um, the story of NVIDIA. And I, I think that's a, um, for anyone who's seen um, 
content or, or messaging from us in that way that we're trying to tell a story of a stock. And um, yes, it, sometimes it takes a little bit longer to tell the full story of a stock. <laughs> it's it, it's and I think the big disconnect, um, especially for for someone who's listening to Rule Breaker Investor podcast, like. You, the audience here that, that's listening to this, on average, is way more engaged with investing and business and stocks. So, right, they're listening to an investing podcast. Yes. My golly! Yes. Versus um, our our pool dot com properties around the world get around a million visitors a day, and the spectrum of kind of experience in investing varies widely. We have, as she mentioned, experts coming coming to us and people who work in investing every single day. We also have someone coming to our site who knows nothing about investing. And many of these people are not waking up in the morning and immediately thinking, "I'm really trying to find the best stock to buy today." So, um, a company our size, we are trying to reach out to people who are outside of just the um, the people who think about investing every single day. We are trying. Yeah. To otherwise, we wouldn't grow much. Exactly. We wouldn't be where we are now. And, and our and our mission is to connect with the world and make them smarter, happier, and richer. And um, often, we need to kind of get people excited and. Again, for the person who's like, ah, I've I've heard about investing, but isn't that super risky? And isn't that just for professionals? We're trying to to get you excited about a story, and we, we truly believe, and we stand behind all of our research here. And again, three years for one hundred fifty nine dollars, like uh, find me a better deal where you can get the the level of research and the the, the quality of recommendations that we have. It, it's a it's a great deal. You know, and I, I if there's a theme to this mailbag, I think it's switching on and realizing you can do this yourself. I didn't intend that as I combed through our mailbag entries. I just kind of listened to what you all have for me each month, but that came through pretty strongly. So, I'm saying that's the theme, probably, of, of this podcast. But I, I, I do chuckle a little bit here, David. Perhaps you do, too. But um, one of our tactics as marketers is sometimes the long, long email or the, the long video. And I know some people some of my friends have come up to me and said, I, I, I was angry. Like I, I was angry at you earlier today. Even though I like you, David Gardner, I was angry at you because you started this video and I was watching 20 minutes later and I still don't know what the stock is and I want to know what the stock is. What are your reflections on that? Clearly, this is a marketing tactic. We could have done it in one minute. But when we A-B test 18 minutes against one minute and we see who signs up, which typically does better? We have, we have typically found that longer, more detail is tends to convert more people, and, and more people will join our services and, and stick with us. Um, again, we, we are, we're very aware of there's a segment of, of the audience who, who would prefer, hey, just give me the 30-second pitch. And, like, and we're working very hard as a team to try to identify those people and, and, uh, and customize our messaging so it fits people's preferences. But on average, and you can. I mean, most people listening can can empathize with this. When when you're putting your credit card down, and whether it's $159 or $1,000 or whatever the price point is, most people will default to give me as much information as possible. So we tend to to default to give people more information. And yes, uh, there are times where maybe we're too long in the tooth and we're going on and on. But um, that's we're trying to find that right balance of proper amount of information versus being. Uh, being careful with people's time, and we want to respect that. Well, and my read on it, I'm not a marketing professional, but my my undergraduate view of things is presumably if somebody has spent 15 minutes, they are more invested probably in the possibility of joining service than if we had a 15 second hit and hope to get their attention for 15 seconds. So there's probably part of the reason it works is because for people who do take the time, clearly. They thought it was worth it. They started saying, "I'm going to maybe I do finally need to start investing," and so they put down some time. And maybe that's why it works better. And, and again, like I said, the the listeners of this podcast, like we love you guys. Like we love that you're part of our our company and part of our audience. And we're, we're trying to create more RBI listeners. And oftentimes, again, for the person who doesn't know anything about investing, they're not going to be convinced that they should take the leap and take the risk and get in the game. After a minute, it's right. just it's just the truth. Yeah, they want to hear about time. a big a big trend or mm-hmm. an interesting company. Yeah. So I yeah. mean, think think about any kind of any purchase you're making in your life. It's it's very rare that you're doing it within 20 seconds. You're gonna you're gonna go do some research. You want to get the full story, and and we're trying to find that balance. Yeah. Well, one thing's for sure: we're working as hard as we can to make the world smarter, happier, and richer. David, thank you for all the work that you've put in over your time so far at the Fool uh, as one of our leaders. To help us grow our audience, and yeah, I mean, a 18-minute video might sound long until you realize we're probably in minute 50 something of this podcast. And I hope, thank you, first of all, for staying all the way with us, as so many of you do. And that's why we 
shamelessly sometimes do about a one-hour podcast, for especially for our mailbags on Rule Breaker Investing. So, so yeah, we want to make every minute of your time worth it. David Hansen, thank you very much. Of course. Well, I feel it wouldn't be appropriate for me to close this week's mailbag if I didn't mention that you can get started with The Motley Fool Services. If you're interested in Stock Advisor, join sa.fool.com. Or if you find yourself more thinking about what's next, join rb.fool.com. Before he walked out, David Hansen also said anybody who'd like to can email him with questions about our services or any of our marketing, anything. It's dhanson, H-A-N-S-O-N, at fool.com. And that's a great show of leadership, typical of so many of my employees, where they're like, yeah, here's my email address. Get in touch if we can help. All right, well, that's the end of this mailbag, and that's the end of this month. Next month on Rule Breaker Investing, well, it's July, and we're going to be kicking off July with a review of three past five-stock samplers. That's coming up next week. Excited to see how those stocks are doing and why, so we'll all learn together. And as I referenced briefly earlier, August will be our second year of authors in August on Rule Breaker Investing. And I already know two of our authors who are signed up. So if you haven't already read either of these books, you can put this one on your beach reading list here if you're near a beach or you like to read anytime in July. The first one is the book A More Beautiful Question, The Power of Inquiry to Spark Breakthrough Ideas, and that's by Warren Berger. I'm also enjoying his follow-up right now, The Big Book of Beautiful Questions. If you're really on fire, you can read both of them. I'm sure we'll be talking about both, but Warren has written a book Well, really, to get the best answer in business or in life, you have to ask the best possible questions. So, he's an innovation expert, and he shows that the ability to question, he calls himself a questionologist, the ability to question is both an art and a science by showing how to approach questioning with an open, curious mind and a willingness to work through a series of why, what if, and how queries. Berger offers an inspiring framework of how we can all arrive at better solutions fresh possibilities, and greater success in business and life. So, that's a more beautiful question. And then the second week of August, it'll be Natural Born Heroes by the author Christopher McDougall, Mastering the Lost Secrets of Strength and Endurance. His journey begins with a story of remarkable athletic prowess on the treacherous mountains of Crete, a motley band, this is a true story, of course, of World War II resistance fighters abducted a German commander from the heart of the Axis occupation to understand how Christopher retraces their steps across the island that birthed Hercules and Odysseus, discovers ancient techniques for endurance, sustenance, and natural movement. It's a wonderful adventure story and a book I highly enjoyed reading. So, those are our first two authors for August. Get started reading. Have a great week. Full on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.